Thanks, Chris, and worship team. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Well, you know, I love the book of Romans, and the more I dig into it, the better I understand it, the more I'm impressed with how brilliant and apologetic for the Christian faith it really is. Not only because it it gives a clear uh, explanation and defense of Christianity, but also it, it shows us the life-changing difference God's grace can make in the life of every person. The set of verses that Mandy read this morning that we come to today in the fifth chapter is a, is a great example of this as it speaks to the issue of, of suffering. I can tell you in the, in the many conversations over the years that I've had with people about my faith in Jesus Christ, the, the suffering we see in our world is one of the main reasons given to me for someone not believing in God, or if they do believe there's a God, rejecting him, not wanting anything to do with him. I can't tell you I've, the number of times I've heard someone say, you know, how could there be a God with the suffering that's in our world? Or if there is a God, how could this be a good God or a loving God? And, with all the misery and anguish that so many people experience every day. You might have, you might have said something like that yourself in the last, <clears throat> the last couple of weeks with uh, the uh, uh, tragic loss of life with the mudslide in Washington State or uh, the Malaysian plane crashing into the Indian Ocean. It's, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things that have led some people to say that the only excuse for God is that he doesn't exist. And, uh, and that, that might be where you're at today. And I, I just want you to, you to know that I can understand why this is an issue for you. It's one that I personally had to wrestle with through, in, in, in my own life because of the, the extreme suffering that I saw my mom I uh, live, every, live every single day of my life from the time I was a child till, the, till my mom died at the young age of, of 58. I mean, just unbelievable pain that, that, that she had. Or, or it might be that you believe in God. You've, you've, you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But in the last year, you've been, you've been hit with the hardest thing that you, you, you've ever faced in your entire life. It's it's been brutal for you, and, and, and you're suffering. And, and until this happened, you could not have imagined doubting God or doubting your faith. But that's where you're at today. Truth be known, if you're, you, you and I could have a conversation, that's, that's what you might say right now. And my heart goes out to you. And I can tell you that it was a test of faith in, in, in Becky and in my life when our son uh, Greg died in 2011. It took everything in us to keep trusting God. And, and honestly, there are days when, when it still does. I mean, it just, it's very, very real. Now, all, knowing all of this to be true, I'm convinced that after spending four chapters emphasizing how sinful we are and then explaining how it's possible for us to be in a right relationship with God, I'm convinced that Paul was very intentional in first speaking to the issue of suffering before he wrote about anything else. And I believe he did this, I mean, obviously because the Holy Spirit led him, but also because he knew the, the, the struggle that we can all go through with this issue of suffering, that it can be a barrier to, 
to any kind of a faith in a loving God or even if we have believed in God and in a relationship with God uh, through Christ, we can, we can come up against something in our life that is so extremely difficult that our, our faith is, is tested in a, in a major way. And so Paul doing this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm so grateful for the book of Romans and because and, what we find is that it's helpful for every one of us, no matter where we might be at in our, in our spiritual journey. And, and what he shows us is this. And I would say this is, if you take notes, this is what you want to write down. This is the big takeaway for today. Shows us that God's worthy of our trust in the hardest of times. God's worthy of our trust in the hardest of times. And unless we've really gone through a hard time in our life, uh, uh, we, we're not going to really grab onto this kind of a statement, but we, if we have, then, then we will. God's worthy of our trust in the hardest of times. And what I discovered as I, as I looked into these 11 verses is that Paul gives us three reasons this is true. Number one, God suffered for us. Number two, suffering builds character. And uh, number three, in suffering, God is our strength. And I'm going to give you each one of these, so don't worry if I went real fast. We're, we're going to come back to each one of them. So no question about it. We live in a broken world. And while, while it's true that there's so much that, that's good, it is a world that is filled with suffering. Suffering caused by natural disasters, caused by disease, and most often, and it's so sad, but most often caused by the hatred and cruelty that people inflict on each other. And so I would just say that we'd be intellectually dishonest if we didn't face the challenge that this brings to our faith in God. And, and, and I'll say this, it's, it's one thing to see, this, to see the suffering in our world from a distance. It becomes very real when we experience it ourselves. And that's when a question, that's when this whole issue becomes so important to us. Can we really trust God? Now, if we could talk this through, I'd want you to know that this isn't the world God created it to be. Read the first three chapters of Genesis, and you'll see that God created the world free of anything that would cause suffering. Everything about this world was good, uh, including the first two people that, that God created. I, I would say Adam and Eve had it made. They they were created perfect themselves. They were living in a perfect world, and it really doesn't get any better than that, including, I would say, and, and this is a, it's a major factor in uh, uh, why all of this happened, why the world is the way it is today. The only way God would create, could create us, and I would argue, uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. In fact, I've, I've asked this question many times, and people have said, oh, I mean, I've never had an exception to this. Do you want to have free will? Do you want to, do you want to be able to have the, the ability to make your own decisions, to choose, you know, to choose whether or not you're going to love God and obey God or whether or not you, you, or, or you're not going to love God and you're not going to obey God? And every time I've asked that question, people have always said, uh, of course I'd want to have that choice. In fact, that, I, it, it, we could argue very strongly, and, and I believe correctly, that, that the only way to have any kind of a relationship with God is if God gives us that freedom, that free will. And so God created us that way, and I'd, I'd want to talk that through with you and, and uh, you know, have a really good conversation. And, and, and then the, the other thing that, that I, I, I would say, and I've asked this question over and over again, I, I, if, knowing what you know about our world and about your own life, if you had a choice, if you, if you could 
never have existed at all, or exist, live, knowing what you know, which, what would be your choice? And I got to tell you, I've never had anybody say to me, well, I'd rather not exist at all. I'd rather not have ever been born. And my own mom, if she could come up here and, and, and talk right now, I mean, I remember having this conversation with her, and she'd say, she'd say I'd do it all over again, even though I know what I'm going to go through in, in my life, knowing what I've gone through. I would prefer to be able to exist. So I'd want to talk about all of this, and it would be a much longer conversation than what I did just now. But there's one thing that I really want to talk through with you, and it's the one thing that makes all the difference when it comes to the suffering that's in our world. And I would say it is the number one reason that God is worthy of our trust in the hardest of times, and this is what it is. It's that God doesn't walk away from us. God doesn't walk away from us saying that we're getting what we deserve. God's not indifferent and uncaring. The very, the very opposite is true of God, and this is our first reason today. God suffered for us. God became one of us, and the Son of God, and in doing this, suffered for us, making it possible for you and me to receive God's grace in our suffering and to one day be eternally free of suffering. That's what we don't want to miss. It makes all the difference. More than anything else, it shows us why God is worthy of our trust in the hardest of times. See, I'm convinced uh, uh, Paul showing us this in the fifth chapter was more than brilliant. It was the Spirit of God leading him to say what needed to be said before he said anything else. And here's why. You know what? You and I can have all of the intellectual arguments for why there's a God and, and why things are the way they are. But if we don't know that God cares, what does it matter? What does it matter if we don't know that God cares? So I'm, I'm very thankful for what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 5, all right? So verse 1. Paul begins with this statement. Therefore. By the way, uh, whenever you, you've heard this before, if you've heard very many sermons, whenever you see therefore, it's always pointing back to what had already been written. And it's kind of fun. In the book of Romans, it's like we're thereforing all the way through, you know. Uh, so he said, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's doing here is he, he's pointing back to everything he's written in the first four chapters, all the bad news about us that we're sinners, that we're separated from God, we face God's judgment, and also the good news that Jesus Christ died to pay the price of our sin, taking God's judgment on himself, and, and in doing this, making it possible for us to be in a right relationship with God, to be righteous before God, to be at peace with God. Now, Paul uh, explains this a bit more for us in, in verses 9 and 11, so uh, li- listen to this. He said, since we've now been justi- justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
thing that you and I have got to know is that left to ourself, you left to yourself, me left to ourself, in our sin, we'd be an enemy of, enemy of God forever. And that's no small deal. Uh, it's not a good place to be, right? Uh, to be an enemy of God and we'd be there forever if it were not for God's love. Which, which brings us uh, to another big word to add to the words that, that I wrote on that, on that big pad of paper the last two weeks. Uh, it, it's the word, word reconciled. Reconciled. Paul repeats it a number of times in those first 11 verses. And so to help us understand what that means, and let me ask you, anybody here, anybody here ever been at odds with another person? Out of sorts. Feel free, raise your hand. You ever been, I mean, just really, really at odds with another person, like maybe the person sitting next to you even, you know? I don't know. But now, now um, and, and let's say this, and truth be known, you were the one responsible. Okay, anybody else want to raise your hand? Truth be known, you were it. No doubt in anybody's mind, you were the one who did what was wrong. You were, in fact, you were a major jerk. Anybody now want to raise your hand? I mean, you know, um, so much so, so much so that after you did what you did, you didn't even like yourself, you know? And, and I've been there. And, and, and you didn't think there was a chance in the world that you'd have any kind of a relationship with that person going forward. No chance. You thought it was over. Okay? And yet, they reached out to you. They were eager to forgive you. And they gave you every opportunity to right the wrong that, that you did. You know what? You experienced something like this, and you know what it means to be reconciled which is exactly what God's done for us. God has reconciled us to himself. Even though we're the ones who sinned, we were the jerks, we were the, we were the ones who did wrong, it was God who reached out to us to be reconciled with us. And he did this through the suffering and death of his son, Jesus Christ. So going back again, verse 1, and then into verse 2, Paul writes, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through, and then he makes this statement. Just love it. He said, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Powerful set of words here. To describe the, the change that's taken place in our ability to have an intimate relationship with God. Perhaps the best way to understand this change is through a curtain in the temple in Jerusalem. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the most sacred part of the temple was a room called the Holy of Holies. And that was true in the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, and, and they duplicated it in the tabernacle. It was at the front of the temple, and whenever God would... Uh, would make his presence known to the people of Israel, God would, it would be, God would be, the presence of God would be in the holy of holies. And so there was this very, very thick curtain drape, very heavy drape, 
that separated it from all of the other rooms, and it could only be entered by the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement when he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the mercy seat of what was called the Ark of the Covenant that the people had taken with them through the wilderness and had the Ten Commandments in it, and on top of it was the mercy seat that represented God's mercy. And he did this to atone for his own sins and for the sin of the people. Only, he could only go in there once a year, and, if, and he had to really prepare himself to go in there. And if anybody walked into that, into that room other than the high priest, and they'd be dead. It'd be over, just like that. The curtain was a visual uh, reminder of the separation between God and mankind. But, but when Jesus died on the cross, the very moment he cried out, it is, it is finished. Matthew tells us in his gospel that this curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And what this meant is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he suffered and died for us, you and I now, all of us, have access into the presence of Almighty God, Holy God. Or to put it this way, the door is always open. <laughs> the door is always open. It's never shut. Don't miss this, everybody. I mean, if there is ever a time, each one of us need to know that the door is open into the, to our almighty God. It's in the midst of suffering. It's, it's knowing that we have this friendship with God where we can come to him at any moment with our struggles and our fears and our doubts. God loves us and God hears us. We can experience his grace. That's why every loving father, every loving parent should be with their child, right? That's the way it should be. Uh, I, I got to tell you, Greg and Nikki, since, you know, all the time, they would have my immediate attention. I mean, I could be deep in study in my office in the morning, and Becky and the kids could stop in. They didn't have to check in with the receptionist, you know? That they could, they just walked right in. They didn't have to knock on my door. They just walked right in. Man, my kids had total access. They, they, they have total access when they call me. You know, I'm not going to necessarily answer the phone when you call me. I might be doing something. But when my kids call me, I mean, just this last week, I, was, I always preach through my sermons, practice them three times before I get up here on Sunday morning. And one of the things I do is time myself so that I never go too short. Uh, you know, and, and that's really important to me is timing myself. It just, I mean, just a few weeks ago, Rob, Rob uh, I do it in room 220, and, and, and Rob needed to talk to me about something, and he, and he forgot that I timed my sermons, and I just waved to him like, bye. You know, yeah. and, but you know what? This week, I was preaching through my sermon Thursday afternoon, and Nikki called. I, I happened to have my, my phone there with me. Guess what? I answered it. No question about it. She's got total access. Now, there's even more, okay? You go, how can it get any better? Well, look at this. Again, Paul said, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then he said this, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Wow. Just think of that. This isn't rejoice like, well, that's pretty good, you know. It's rejoice in capital letters. It's 
rejoice, kick up your heels, dance around the room, shout it out, celebrate it with everything you've got. That's why I never understand why Christians sing, you know, quietly, you know, and kind of with, you know, it's not such a big deal. Because it is a big deal, right? You know? That's why, that's why when we worship God, we should worship with all our heart. You know? But you know what? More than how loud we sing or how enthused we, we are in our worship. You know what it is? It's letting what you have, the hope that you have, sink into the very core of your being. And letting it impact how you think and what you say and what you do in the midst of suffering. And, and this isn't, this isn't, uh, the other thing I want to make sure we don't misunderstand, this isn't hope like I, like, uh, well, anybody here into March Madness? Anybody watching any basketball? Love that Wisconsin game last night, you know? And, and I, you know, I I'm, I'm lived in Wisconsin before we came here for five years, and my brother has lived in Wisconsin, like, since the 60s. So, you know, uh, you know, it isn't the kind of hope like, well, I hope my team wins. I hope they win, you know, and you get right down to the last minute, and they win by one point, that kind of, you know, you know what it is? It's, it's a hope that's a guarantee. It's knowing with certainty that it's going to happen, okay? That at the end of the day, when it's all done, and eternity begins, Jesus Christ is going to reign as the sovereign Lord of the universe, and, and every knee will bow before him, and every tongue confess that he is almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords. You have these magnificent pieces in the New Testament describing Jesus Christ in his glory. For example, in the first chapter of Ephesians, there's, there's this picture of the exalted Christ having conquered sin and death. And once and for all, he, and he's seated at the right hand of his Father above every power in the universe. It's a, it's a spectacular picture of Jesus in his glory. And, and, and you're caught up in the amazement of who he is. And so you keep reading into the second chapter. And you read this and it blows you away. Because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And then you keep reading and you read. And God... God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in, to us in Christ Jesus. Not only do we hear about G, read about Jesus seated at the right hand of his father, we read about us seated with him. Listen here, friend. Whatever suffering you might be experiencing in your life, your future is more magnificent, it is more awesome than any one of us could begin to imagine, and it's guaranteed because Jesus Christ suffered and he died for you, and by the power of God he was raised from death to life, and the same thing is going to happen to you. Yeah, 
I think it's worth an amen. Huh? So the first thing to know, in the hardest of times, God's worthy of your trust. Because God doesn't leave you alone in your suffering. He's done the very opposite. The the eternal Son of God became one of us. And in doing this, he suffered for us, making it possible for you and me to receive God's grace. In the midst of our suffering, the door is always open. And to one day be eternally free of suffering. Ah, But it keeps on. There's another reason. Number two, all right? Is this. In the hardest of times, God is worthy of your trust, okay? Because suffering builds character. I want to tell I can tell you this from experience. Twice now in my life. My mom and with my son. This is so important to know, everybody. And if, you're, if you've gone through excruciating suffering in your life, you understand what I'm saying. This is so important to know because when you're in the midst of a gut-wrenching curve that life can throw at you, it makes all the difference to know that there can be purpose in it. That it's not all for nothing. It makes all the difference in the world. And so Paul writes this in verse 3 and 4. He said, not only so, he said, not only is it true, all this other stuff that I just wrote that's so amazing, he said, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, don't misunderstand this. Paul's not saying, like, I love to suffer. Like, oh, bring on another one, you know. No, he's not saying that at all. But he's saying this. He's saying there's joy to be found in suffering. There's joy to be found in it. There's joy to be found in it because of what suffering can do in us. And the first one is this, everybody. It has the potential to produce perseverance. Perseverance. I was just talking with somebody about this, and I'm not going to say who it is. Who's, uh, she and her husband have gone through some real suffering in their lives. And I was talking to her the other day up at Lifetime, and she was, uh, was on the treadmill, and she happened to come in front, and we ended up having this great conversation together. And, uh, and, and, and she would agree with what I'm saying, and her husband would 100%. Uh, what suffering does... And this is perseverance, everybody. It helps us focus on what's really important. Okay? It helps us focus on what's really important. And, and she said it herself, it realigns your priorities. It realigns your priorities. And then, and then, you know what else is true? The more we persevere, the more we build character into who we are. The, the, the word Paul uses here uh, to des- uh, describe someone who's been tested by suffering and they stayed focused on what's most important. And every time this happens, they become a stronger and a better person. It is the quality of confidence that comes from having been through an experience where you follow through and you do what's right and what needs to be done. And then third, he said, all of this leads 
to hope, to hope. You see, the, the thing about suffering that's unique is that it drives us to the one place where you and I can find real hope and real confidence and certainty. Suffering drives us to God better than anything else. Let me ask you, um, let me ask you if your mom ever said something like this. About 30 minutes before you're going to have dinner, don't eat that candy or you're going to spoil your appetite. Anybody ever have your mom say that to you? You know, something like that. You know, the thing about mothers, mothers aren't always right. Okay, mothers are, you know, uh, Mothers are sometimes wrong, but they're never in doubt, all right? Right? Would you all agree? I'm, this is a little joke, okay? Um, okay. But they are right about this, all right? The trouble with eating candy is it gives you a sugar buzz. Buzz. And, and you don't get hungry. And it masks the fact that your body needs nutrients that, that you don't have, that you're not giving your body. If you do that, you know what? It can be the same way with life. Life always going the way you like it to go. Circumstances always being favorable. That's like spiritual sugar. And you're basing your day-to-day -day happiness on circumstances. But when hard times come, you know what? When hard times come, it drives you to God. Because when the sugar goes away, then you're, focused, you're forced to go after the feast that your soul really needs. Get the nutrients from God that your soul needs. You see, and when you receive this, you develop a strength that you could not receive any other way. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about here? So true. So I've had many conversations with people who've said they found God through suffering. They said, they've said it's moved them toward God rather than away from God. It's helped them understand that they are not as self-sufficient or in control of their lives as they thought they were. You might have gone through that. Not only have they said that suffering led them to believe in God's existence, I've had as many people tell me that it's drawn them into a deeper relationship, experience of God's love and God's ability to give strength and hope when they needed it the most. It's shown them that God's worthy of their trust. You know, there's somebody that I've, I've, uh, I've respected uh, since the 70s. Perhaps you've heard of her. Johnny Erickson Tata. Becky and I were in the airport in Atlanta about a month ago. And uh, we were just, couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, there she, there she was. She just came in her chair right up to where we were. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could not stop myself from going up and, and talking to her. And both Becky and I thanking her for what she has meant in our lives, almost a big part of our life. Johnny, I don't know if you know her story, but in 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, not, not realizing how shallow the water was, and, and she ended up being paralyzed from her shoulders down. And, and, and she's had all of these years of ministry. She, she's, an, she's authored 40 books. She's a musician, sings beautifully, and, and, and she's an advocate to, for disabled people. She's an example of what we're talking about today. 
Now, one more reason that God's worthy of our trust in the hardest of times. And it's this, in suffering, God is our strength. In suffering, God is our strength. Uh, love what Paul writes here in verse 5. He, he kind of brings it all together and he said, it, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You know what God's saying? I believe God's saying, I'm in this thing so deep with you that I'm, going to, I'm, I'm, I'm actually putting my presence in you through the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, and the Holy Spirit will continually. In fact, the word that's used here means at a high volume. It's, it's like you got the water turned on full force, okay? He said, and I will, and the Holy Spirit, he said, will continually, continually pour my love into your heart. God's saying, this is a love relationship I've got going with you. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I want to spend forever with you. I'm, God is saying, I'm going to get you to the finish line. You can trust me. You can trust me. Wow. In fact, I, last night when I was reading through the sermon, I, I uh, thought of this verse that I wish I would have thought of. But it's from the first chapter of Ephesians again. Beautiful statement about this. It's kind of saying the same thing. Verse 13 and 14, he writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. God's saying, I'm going to get you to the finish line. You can count on it. You can trust me with this. See, it's true. God's worthy. God's worthy of our trust in the hardest of times, the hardest of times, because God suffered for us and because suffering builds character. And third, in suffering, God is our strength. To the praise of his glory. Praise God, right? Praise God. Okay, let's worship together.